There was a woman last summer, a Mexican woman who in her home city in the South, she was kidnapped and tortured. She ultimately escaped. Um, her kidnappers and torturers were members of a very powerful cartel. She tried to cross the border and was kidnapped and tortured um, by the cartel that captured her as she tried to cross the border without having paid um, a coyote to cross her. After escaping that, uh, we helped her get into a refuge and she was desperate to cross, um, but there was no way for her to do that because of Title 42. And she tried again, she was expelled back to Mexico and ultimately she took her own life. And we learned about it when um, her son had been given her possessions back and he saw the conversations uh, where she was trying to get help um, and just wanted to let us know that she had taken her own life and was no longer going to be an active case. Under the Trump administration, immigration policy was led by Stephen Miller, a longtime anti-immigrant zealot with ties to white nationalism. Miller had a particular hatred for refugees and asylum seekers and hunted for any means he could to prevent their entry into the U.S. Back in 2018, one of the laws he came across was an obscure public health law from 1944 known as Title 42, which allowed government public health authorities to block people or goods from entering the U.S. from places where there was a communicable disease spreading. So Miller started looking for diseases he could use to justify invoking the law. According to the New York Times, first he tried mumps, then he tried flu, then he tried to see if there were any other diseases spreading in communities with recent migrant arrivals. And that is when the COVID pandemic struck and Miller found a way to use public health as a justification to stop people from seeking protection from persecution in the US. In March, 2020, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC issued an order about our borders. The order blocked a certain group of people from entering the US. Those people were asylum seekers, people who had fled their home countries and made the incredibly hard journey to our border to seek safety in the US. The CDC order specifically targeted this small subset of the people who come to the border, people seeking protection from persecution and violence. So you may have heard of Title 42, and even if you haven't heard of it before, it sounds official, it sounds serious, it sounds like it's the law. So you might think this is a normal part of our immigration laws, that DHS or the CDC has the authority to just stop letting specific groups into the country but there is nothing normal about this. Title 42 is not actually a part of our immigration laws. It was used by the Trump administration to get around our immigration laws because the administration wanted to flout our laws and prevent asylum seekers from entering the US. I'm Jenny Guilfoyle. And I'm Lindsay Goldford Gray, and this is Inadmissible. In this episode, we talk about Title 42, this order that for more than two years has been used by the government to block thousands of people from seeking asylum at our borders, blocking them in direct violation of US law and contrary to public, public health opinion. To understand what this means and how we got here, we are talking to Nicole Ramos, the border rights director at an organization called Al Otro Lado. Hi, Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do 
for work at Al Otro Lado? Yeah, um, I am the director of Al Otro Lado's Border Rights Project, which is one of our biggest programs. It's based in Tijuana, Mexico, and we serve asylum seekers throughout the border, but largely in Baja California, who are interested in seeking asylum in the US. So we provide them with legal orientation and know your rights training. We accompany asylum seekers through the legal process to enter the United States to seek asylum, that get that permission, humanitarian parole. And then we're also providing referrals for social services and shelter, as well as other humanitarian aid to tens of thousands of asylum seekers who are trapped at the US-Mexico border because of Title 42. So you just mentioned Title 42. Can you tell us what that is? Title 42 is a policy that was started by the Trump administration and has been continued by the Biden administration. And it originated with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was billed as a public health law for the purposes of protecting the US from soaring rates of COVID throughout the world. And it has continued to be billed as a public health law, even though it really only applies to the movement of migrants across borders and not so many other kinds of persons such as citizens, legal permanent residents, or folks coming to the US with a tourist visa, for example. So Title 42 is a policy that turns away asylum seekers at the border and it's really only applicable to asylum seekers. Is that, did I get that right? That is correct. It, as a result of Title 42, what normally would have been able to happen is asylum seekers could approach the border, approach the port of entry, let officers know that they fear for to be returned to their country and want to begin the asylum process. And technically they were supposed to be processed into the United States, whether they were released from the port of entry or they were sent to immigration detention, that was a matter of discretion for the agency. However, under Title 42, people who approach a port of entry are immediately turned away um, and told that they cannot seek asylum at that time at that port of entry. And individuals who cross the border without inspection, so at places in between ports of entry like the river or the desert, they once are they are apprehended, they are fingerprinted, photographed, and then immediately expelled either back to Mexico, even if they are not Mexican, as long as they are a nationality that the Mexican government has agreed it is willing to accept back into its territory. That's another important thing to understand is that Title 42 cannot exist without the complicity and active collaboration of the, US, of the Mexican government with the US government or that person uh, could be expelled back to their country of origin if they are not of a nationality that Mexico has agreed to accept back onto its territory. And since Title 42 has been in operation under the Biden administration, we have seen over 20,000 individuals from Haiti expelled back to Haiti without any your interview with an asylum officer, even though that is technically a requirement. And, you know, we've expelled people back to a country that we granted temporary protected status to because it is a country that has experienced one um, 
environmental disaster after the next and a complete collapse of government, including the assassination of their president last summer. Um, and so, yeah, that's how Title 42 works. It prevents people from accessing the asylum process completely under the guise of being a public health law. So you mentioned Haitians, and then you mentioned that Mexico has only agreed to sort of receive for expulsion people from certain countries. We've been talking some on previous episodes of the podcast about nationality disparities and how immigration laws and policies are applied differently to different groups of people. Talk a little bit about how you're seeing that with Title 42, both in the context that you spoke about, but also as applied to Ukrainians, for example. In the case of Ukrainians, around two months ago, we saw tens of thousands of Ukrainians fleeing the war, coming to the US-Mexico border, most of them through Baja California and most of those through Tijuana. And approximately 20,000 arrived. Those individuals were processed in a matter of six weeks expeditiously with in some days processing exceeding over a thousand people per day. Those individuals were not subject to any COVID screening prior to being accepted for processing. They were not subject to any vaccination requirement prior to accepted for processing. Indeed, many of the individuals did not have access to the vaccine prior to coming or were not interested in being vaccinated and they were accepted for processing. We had individuals who were not Ukrainian during that time arrive to the port of entry with very serious claims of persecution, some of them with very serious injuries, including a Black immigrant who had a coloscopy bag because he was still reeling from the impact of being shot several times here in Mexico and was laying on the port of entry, just dying basically to be processed, trying to get CBP officers to pay attention to him while tens um, of Ukrainians were being processed right in front of him. And so that's an example of the real stark contrast in nationality processing. A lot of the political will to process Ukrainians and, and instead of other people came from the image that, okay, Ukraine is at war. These are people that are victims of a war. We have war widows. We have children whose parents have been lost. You know, all of these people are fleeing war and we should, we should provide special protections to them. However, there are other people that are also coming to our border of other nationalities who do not have white skin who are fleeing a war. For example, Mexican asylum seekers fleeing the state of Michoacan which has experienced levels of violence that are comparable to war zones in Iraq and Syria over the past 15 years. Uh, tens of thousands of people have been murdered and disappeared in just the last few years alone. Uh, and the government is at war with organized crime, which is at war with the people. And war widows come from Michoacan every single day and no one pays them any attention. Um, and so that's another example, um, including a, a compelling example because these people are trying to flee the own, their own country, the place where they fear persecution um, and their cases are ignored. And the, the pull is, or the push is not to 
have Ukrainians not be processed so that they can suffer like everyone else. The push is for everyone to receive that dignified treatment and that welcome into the asylum process that the Ukrainians were, that, that they had the benefit of experiencing. Yeah, wow. That's a lot of information that's quite unsettling. You mentioned that at a certain point or on certain days, CBP Customs and Border Protection at the border was able to process upwards of a thousand Ukrainians per day. What's the normal rate of processing or what does the government say that they're able to do? Right now, pursuant to litigation, we have a small exemption process, uh, which allows certain individuals, families to be exempted from the application of Title 42. And the number of people that are accepted at each port of entry varies by city. Tijuana um, has the largest migrant population along the border, generally. Um, and right now, 70 people per day uh, are accepted. And those referrals are sent through uh, the shelters, as well as the California Welcome Task Force, which is coordinating with CBP around this issue. But in comparison to you know, the over 10,000 people that have been waiting at the border for, in some cases, over two years or more, some, some people have been waiting for as long as three years, uh, they don't have immediate access to the process. They have to hope that their family gets called to be among the 70 individuals that are allowed into the US for processing per day. So right now our government is allowing 70 people to cross per day, but then for Ukrainians at one point was allowing a thousand or maybe more than that. That is correct. So it's not a lack of capacity. Every port of entry has its own plan for mass migration events, which is why CBP was able to get up to speed fairly quickly to receive the Ukrainian community when it arrived at the border in mass. Uh, and San Isidro, because of renovations a few years ago, has one of the higher capacities along the border. They, pre-COVID, the capacity was approximately 800 persons for, to, 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 to have being processed, detained in the building. Obviously, COVID impacts that, that capacity, but it's certainly not at a level as low as 70 people per day. CBP yeah. is the largest budget, law enforcement budget in the country. Um, it is the largest law enforcement agency in the country. The U.S. is one of the most powerful and well-resourced nations on the planet. We can do better. We're talking about Title 42 because it applies only to asylum seekers. So let's talk about asylum for just a moment. Is asylum legal? We hear a lot of jargon about or rhetoric around, you know, the quote unquote illegals coming to the border and people should quote unquote get in line or do things legally. Is asylum a legal process? Uh, it is a legal process. People who make those comparisons are really comparing apples and oranges. Both are fruit, but they are very different. Asylum and other queue-based immigration processes like a work visa or a family visa are very different and one has no impact on the other. 
people who have been waiting for a family petition for years in line in a queue, not impacted or slowed down at all by the number of asylum seekers that are processed into the US. There is no way to seek asylum other than going to the border. Some people are under the misconception because they see a lot of movies that you have to seek asylum at a foreign embassy, um, at a US embassy in a foreign country, um, or there is some kind of way that you can rush onto the, the consulate soil and, and refuse to leave until you're processed. That only happens for people who are very wealthy and very famous. But for most people, the only way to seek asylum is going to be to be able to make it to the land border at either the U.S.-Canada border or the U.S.-Mexico border and present themselves to a U.S. immigration official. There's also talk about, you know, safety issues if asylum seekers are allowed in because there's concerns that a, a lot of asylum seekers are quote unquote criminals or have significant criminal history. Is that something that you encounter often? That is not something that we encounter often. The vast majority of people arriving have no criminal history either in the US or in their country of origin or transit countries. And it's interesting that people have that reaction only when it applies to black and brown asylum seekers because no one assumed that as thousands of Ukrainians and Russians arrived to our border that they were criminals. Everyone saw those asylum seekers as true victims. And it's only when we start talking about black and brown bodies that we raise the specter of criminality. And that's an it's obvious evidence of not only the racism in our public rhetoric and how we talk about immigrants, but also in our very basic systems, how we process people who are coming to the US. Yeah. Another thing we hear, and usually, as you mentioned, apply to certain populations, is while people aren't aren't really afraid, they're only coming to the United States borders for work. Uh, do you encounter a lot of people in those circumstances? We encounter very few people in those circumstances. Um, we encounter largely individuals who are fleeing threats of violence or actual acts of violence that have been committed against them or their very close family members. Um, we do encounter individuals who are coming to the border because they previously relied on agriculture many of them from indigenous communities they can no longer subsist on those lands as a result of actions taken by transnational corporations and many American corporations. And these corporations are often supported by US foreign policy. And these individuals have been essentially displaced from their lands as a result of US and multinational corporate interests. But US asylum law, unfortunately, doesn't leave room for individuals that are more typically known as climate refugees or recognize the way that US financial and foreign policy wreaks real havoc and violence on the homelands of some of the people that are coming to the border. And I would just note for people that, that make that assumption that everyone's just coming because they want, a, they want you know, to come to the US to work. There's this mistaken idea that the US provides a better way of life that everyone is really interested in being a part of. 
Um, in many respects, the US lacks culture and these individuals are fleeing countries that have truly deep and rich cultures. Uh, they're not leaving places that um, are devoid of resources. They come from very resource rich countries. Um, they have families, they have businesses and they don't wanna leave. They're leaving because there is no other option but to save their lives. And I would also ask those individuals to consider the millions of Americans that live abroad, hundreds of thousands who live in Mexico, many of them without legal status, um, living undocumented because they have the privilege to do so. These Americans have gone to places all over the world, including Mexico and Central America, because they want to have a better way of life, because they feel that their dollars um, whether through work or social security will go further in these economies, indeed they will. Um, and so what makes Americans so special that we can go throughout the world in search of a better way of life and live undocumented by the hundreds of thousands in many places like Mexico, but people who are fleeing their countries because of violence or because they are climate refugees do not have the right to travel to the US to seek a different way of life. That in itself, that way of thinking is deeply racist. Our country in many ways sort of acts and has changed policies as if COVID is sort of over, or at least that we're on the other side of the major public health crisis. We are, you know, allowing tourism, we've, you know, lifted federal mass mandates, you know, those kinds of things. Is Title 42 still going on? Title 42 remains in effect, even though we no longer are adhering to mask mandates. There's no vaccination requirement nationally. Um, we have accepted tourism um, or people with tour tourist visas to enter and, and, and leave the US. Um, US citizens and legal permanent residents can go anywhere in the world and return and not, are not required. Um, to have any sort of COVID screening or even to be vaccinated by COVID. Um, but asylum seekers, even those who are vaccinated, even those who are vaccinated and wear a mask and will provide a negative COVID screening before being processed into the US, and if not vaccinated, agree to vaccination immediately upon processing, those individuals are not allowed in. Um, that's not about protecting public health, that's about protecting a white majority and a system that is premised largely on white supremacy. So that was a really great discussion with Nicole and we learned a lot about Title 42 and how it's actually impacting real people seeking to enter the US. So Lindsay, can we just go back for a minute to talk again about Title 42 and like, where did this law come from and what was it intended for? Yeah, so the initial law that was related to Title 42, but is a different law, was actually enacted in 1893, and then Title 42 was enacted in 1944. And you know, Title 42, the goal of this law is to prevent the introduction of a contagious disease into the US. But it's important to note here that by the time the government implemented this order, COVID was already, so that was March. COVID came, you know, maybe late December, but January, we really started seeing it and it was spreading widely throughout the country by the time the order was implemented. 
another important thing to note is that, you know, Title 42 or the legacy law has never been applied to use for the deportation of human beings. And so, you know, it was initially designed to regulate transportation entities that brought persons or goods to the United States, and it imposed fines or imprisonment on those transportation entities if they violated a public health order. For example, when it was used in 1929 to combat meningitis, which is another deadly disease transmitted by asymptomatic uh, carriers via airborne respiratory droplets, deportation was not authorized in that case. So we talked earlier in the, in the beginning of the podcast about uh, kind of how it came about that Title 42 was uh, implemented during the COVID pandemic, and that was uh, Stephen Miller, who had Title 42 um, on his wish list, in a sense, before COVID. He had found this law and was hoping to use it to limit or end asylum protection in the United States. And it's one of the actually many things he did to try to limit or end asylum protection in the United States. Um, and so he was looking around for a disease that would justify using this law. And COVID, you know, he tried several didn't work and then COVID happened and he was able to use that. And how did it come about then that the CDC ended up issuing this order? Because they're the ones that issued the actual order. Yeah, and I mean, Jenny, I will tell you, I did not know about the sort of title, like Stephen Miller's discovery of Title 42 and his attempts to implement it since it sounds like 2018. I mean, that surprised me when when actually you brought that to my attention and it, I knew that Title 42, you know, had been implemented sort of under the guise of protecting us of COVID-19 and that it was motivated by other things, but I think that these previous attempts to implement it for other reasons clearly indicate, you know, the, the ulterior motives for Title 42. When you know, when this initially arose, the idea of implementing Title 42 uh, this order to uh, again under the guise to protect us from title uh, uh, from COVID nineteen. Excuse me. The the public health officials at the CDC said that there was no evidence that such an order would protect us from COVID nineteen, and the CDC top people were against the implementation of Title forty two. However, the Trump administration, specifically Mike Pence called the center for the director for the center of disease control and told them to use the, their emergency powers to enact the order. And so that is how it was done. So even over and above public health official opinion that this would not protect us from COVID-19, the administration just ordered that it be done. And so uh, Nicole talked about the nationality disparity and the way this is playing out now. So, you know, are we currently um, blocking everyone from entering the United States under Title 42 or just certain people? And like, how is that playing out? Yeah, so Title 42 does apply to everyone, like all asylum seekers, anyone without valid documentation that comes to our borders and is under the quote unquote covered persons issued by the order. And by the way, covered persons has nothing to do with whether or not the person is infected by COVID or carries any particular disease. So it applies to everyone. There is an exemption for unaccompanied children that I'll talk about in a moment. And as Nicole mentioned, there was a blanket exemption, sort of policy exemption for Ukrainians. 
But what we see is that our government cannot, for everyone else that it, it does apply to, our government cannot expel, that's the term that's used because it's not technically a deportation, it's called an expulsion because um, it's not related to the person's like court hearings or any request for relief from immigration. So they're just sent back with no, with no process. So it's called an expulsion. Anyway, a lot of it is logistical. And as Nicole mentioned in our interview, you know, expelling people back to Mexico that are not from Mexico, the United States has to have the cooperation of the Mexican government in order to do that. And so the, the country of Mexico has officially only agreed to accept for expulsion into Mexico, people from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And so the United States technically cannot be expelling people from other countries back into Mexico. And so, you know, when the United States can't just send people back or turn them around, in order to expel them under Title 42, they have to do so by other means. So for example, you know, Nicole talked about Haitians and they were being expelled by airplane back to Haiti, even though our country has designated Haiti a temporary protected status country, which basically means that our government has recognized that the country of Haiti cannot safely receive its citizens back into Haiti, but we, we did it anyway. For other countries, you know, we can expel certain other countries, we're able to expel them by plane. For other countries, it is just not logistically feasible to expel either anyone or all people from those uh, countries. And so in that case, what happens is, is people from those countries are either detained at a, at a US immigration detention facility or they are released into the United States. And that sort of varies depending on circumstances. But then what you see is this sort of like very disparate treatment, not only, you know, the Ukrainian example that Nicole gave, but just sort of across the spectrum, you know, the, the policy being applied disparately based on nationality. So um, you had, I mentioned, I said I would talk about unaccompanied children. Um, one thing to note about unaccompanied children is that they, there is an exception for unaccompanied children, which I think the Biden administration did the right thing by accepting unaccompanied children from Title 42. It created de facto family separation in many cases because while the government was not ripping children out of their parents' arms, you know, many families with children were stuck in Mexico on the other side of the border in very dangerous circumstances without adequate access to food, shelter, protection, many things. And so they were forced to make the agonizing decision to send their children across the border alone. So Lindsay, with Title 42 still in place for people from certain countries, I think it would probably be good to talk about another Trump era policy that was blocking people from seeking asylum at the border. And that's these so-called migrant protection protocols known as the Remain in Mexico policy, where, and this was, you know, part of the Trump administration's pullout uh, assault on the ability of people to seek asylum and refugee status in the U.S. They were trying every way they could to prevent anyone from seeking asylum in the U.S. And so this other policy, the migrant protection policies, which also impacted people at the border, um, would allow people to 
present themselves at a port of entry and talk to an immigration officer there and say that they were afraid to return home and they wanted to seek asylum. And under this policy, people would be in theory allowed to seek asylum, but instead of being allowed into the United States to wait for their case to be heard in immigration court here, they would have to go stay in Mexico for months, years, um, far from home in uh, very dangerous conditions um, in Mexico before their um, immigration case could be heard in immigration court in the United States. And that policy is finally coming to an end this week with the Supreme Court ruling against the continuation of the Remain in Mexico policy. But there are these, both of these kind of interlocking policies that were both aimed at blocking people from seeking asylum at the border. So with that Remain in Mexico program, we assume now ending, what does this mean for Title 42? And like, what do things look like at the border now for people seeking asylum? Yeah, so Title 42 remains in place because it is separate and apart from the Migrant Protection Protocols, also known as MPP. So one of the things to know about Title 42 is it's a CDC order, but certain legislators at this point are actually trying to get Title 42 put into legislation, which would be pretty terrible. It would mean that Title 42 would likely be in existence for months and years to come. And so we are currently at risk for Title 42 continuing for many months, even though it looks like the end of MPP is imminent. How that works in practice, not much has changed at this point because we are waiting for the Supreme Court of the United States to, to what's called certify their decision, which is like to finalize it and send it down to the Court of Appeals. But that should be happening in the coming weeks. And then we're hopeful that MPP will begin to wind down and it will be ending. In terms of what that will look like for people as it relates to Title 42, you know, as, as we talked about, Title 42 can be applied to any, you know, to any asylum seeker, but logistically, based on our agreements with Mexico and other things, that doesn't always happen. And so what we will see is some individuals that were placed in MPP might be expelled under Title 42, and then other individuals will be permitted entry into the United States, and they'll either be detained in an immigration detention center, or they'll be released into the United States uh, to move about the country, you know, and, and settle somewhere. And so Title 42, we've been talking about how this was a, you know, policy of the Trump administration that they put into place. So the Biden administration um, had announced that they were going to end Title 42 beginning in May of this year, but that didn't happen. Um, there were several states that sued to stop that from happening. Um, and it's, I think it's important to, to note, like in the context of this whole conversation, you know, that Title 42 ostensibly is about public health and protecting people against COVID. Although again, as we discussed earlier, the idea of using Title 42 long predated COVID and that really became a pretext for using it. But these states that have sued to prevent Title 42 ending are states that have been pretty strongly against COVID protective measures. So once again, begging the question about whether this is really about public health 
or about something else. Um, so one of the states that sued to keep Title 42 in place is Texas. Um, Lindsay, do you want to talk at all about kind of where things stand in Texas and you know what the Texas government thinks is going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, what the Texas government thinks is going on is is somewhat loaded, and I probably can't totally speak to that, but there's certainly quite a bit of uh, tweeting by Governor Abbott and, and our board chair, Kate Lincoln Goldfinch, and I did a quick podcast on um, some comments that he made uh, last week about our open border policy, Biden's open border policies being responsible for um, at least 50 migrants who died of heat-related incident, uh, heat-related injuries in a truck um, that had been smuggled in, presumably. And, you know, as we've discussed, Title 42 has effectively closed the border to thousands of individuals and cut off their legal right to seek asylum. And so, you know, as much as there is rhetoric around, you know, that this will open the border and cause chaos and empower the cartels, I think that, you know, one, in terms of causing chaos, you know, we have to remember that, you know, we have had a fairly orderly, albeit imperfect, system for permitting asylum seekers to request asylum at our borders in this country for decades. And so we should, at a minimum, restore what we had before. And the Biden administration, you know, chose to, to wind down, announced for MPP, not Title 42, to wind down once before, which was in early 2020. And a system was put in place for orderly processing of people where they registered online, they were given a date to come to the border. And, you know, that system also was not perfect, but it was not chaos or quote unquote, an invasion as the Texas governor would lead you to believe. And, you know, in terms of the argument or the rhetoric that, quote unquote, opening the border, meaning winding down MPP or ending Title 42 would empower, you know, the cartels, I think that that is what is happening now that we have closed our borders. You know, there have been, Human Rights First has reported, there have been thousands of incidents of violence and kidnapping um, and the cartels have preyed on vulnerable migrants. Vecina in the summer of 2021 helped 1,278 individuals, which comprised 400, 408 families that were subject to Title 42. And we assisted them with requesting an exemption to Title 42 so they could enter the United States. Around 43% of the people that we assisted were the victims of either kidnapping or attempted kidnapping. And about 45% of the people we assisted were children under the age of 12. So if you think about those numbers, the cartels are using the vulnerability of migrants that congregate mainly you know, near, near the, the border, because that's where they ultimately want and need to go, um, for, to be victims of violence and extortion. In Laredo, Nuevo Laredo, which is on the other side of Laredo, Texas, there is a tree where the U.S. government would round people up throughout the day um, and expel them under Title 42, and they would leave them at this tree, usually around the same time every day. And so it became known in Nuevo Laredo as the kidnapping tree because the cartels knew that the U.S. government was 
putting, you know, expelling people, basically dumping people back near the same tree every day. And so they knew that they could come and kidnap migrants at that tree. And so the, the rhetoric and the, the talk that, you know, ending these policies will empower the cartels is just plainly false. And that's in fact, what's been happening now that we have our borders largely closed. In fact, so in fact, it's quite the opposite. So having this policy in place has meant um, that cartels and gangs have had many more people to victimize sitting right there um, because they haven't been able to come into the United States and they have unfortunately extorted uh, huge amounts of money and from people and uh, visited enormous amounts of violence on people. Yeah, I mean, just think about Nicole's uh, client that she talked about, the person that Alo Trolado had assisted that had been kidnapped twice and ultimately couldn't bear to, to be at the border anymore. I mean, I, can't, I cannot imagine what that would be like for myself, and I absolutely cannot imagine what that would be like if I had my children with me. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Inadmissible. We look forward to bringing you more episodes, and we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. To learn more about how to get involved with Vecina's work, visit vecina.org. That's V-E-C-I-N-A dot O-R-G. See you next time.